Welcome to the Buckhead Church Podcast. At Buckhead Church, we are for Atlanta because we believe that God is for Atlanta. And these days, it's more important than ever to be known by what we're for. And we hope this podcast helps you in your life and faith. We want to help you find greater hope with fewer regrets because we are for you. If it's your first time with us, head over to buckheadchurch.org slash new so we can meet you and send you a free For Atlanta gift on us. If you're not already receiving weekly emails from us, make sure to head to our website, scroll to the bottom, click stay informed and sign up today. The best way to keep up with everything going on is to follow us on social media, subscribe to our YouTube channel and download our free Buckhead Church app. But most importantly, I hope the following episode inspires you to take the next step forward in your faith journey this week. Enjoy. I I like that line, uh, you're never giving up on me. Sometimes it feels like life is a battle. Maybe you feel like you're in a battle and you're wondering that same thing. Has God given up on me? Why is this so difficult? Why are things so challenging? Maybe you're in a season of discouragement And maybe you feel that same discomfort of, is God really there? Is he really paying attention? Is he really on my side? Uh, Today, we're going to talk about this man who was feeling the same thing, this man who was struggling through the same thing, that same question of, could God really be for me? And what we're going to see is we're going to see that Jesus not only answered that question, but he cared for the guy. He changed the guy's life in the middle of it. And my hope for you today is that you might experience that same sense of hope today. So if you would, I'd love to pray for us. I'd love for you to join me while I pray even. Heavenly Father, um, thank you, thank you, thank you. God, sometimes life does feel like a battle, but God, you are always there. Even when we can't feel you, even when we can't sense your presence, You're on our side, letting us know that you are for us. So God, as we look at this interaction that this person had with Jesus, I pray we would learn something about you that might change the way we feel about our situation, about our life. We do thank you for Jesus, the image of the invisible God. We pray all this in his name. Amen. Amen. You're welcome to go ahead and have a seat. Hey, so good to be with everybody. Uh, I know we've got a bunch of people in the room today, which is awesome, but we got a bunch of people watching with us online today. We've got some of our other churches with us as well, Decatur City Church. Good to be with you today. And I, um, I just want to tell you up front that I am very excited about this message, but it's a little, um, the, the content of it is a little challenging, and it's, it's caused a, a little bit of a a weight in me of trying to figure out how do you explain it? How do you say it? Uh, I took classes on this too, which I don't know if that makes it better or makes it worse, Uh, but I went to graduate school to get a degree in theology, and uh, the best thing that happened is I met my wife there, but um, I took some preaching classes, and in these preaching classes, what they teach you up front is they teach you, hey, start off with some kind of engaging story. Start off with something that might engage people. I like to laugh. I like humor. So that's sometimes my favorite part is trying to find something that would be engaging and funny. But as I started thinking about this message today, this story, this interaction that this person had with Jesus, it's such a big story. It has so many twists and turns, so many ups and downs. It, uh, it doesn't even really need a setup. It doesn't really need any kind of story up front because it is such an interesting, fascinating narrative 
this interaction that someone had with Jesus. And so we're just gonna jump right into the story. But I do wanna pose this one question because this is really what this story, I think it tries to answer. Here's what the, uh, the, the person that wrote this, his name was Mark. He's giving us an account of Jesus's life. And in Mark 5, I think he's trying to tell us a little bit more about Jesus to try to answer this question. Is Jesus worth following? Is Jesus worth following? Maybe you're asking that today. Maybe you're at a place where you're trying to figure out, do I, do I want to follow him? Do I need to follow him? Would it change anything if I chose to follow him? The series, we titled it The Last Resort because these three stories that we've looked at in Mark 5 are all about people who were out of options. They had tried everything. Three examples of people who were completely at the end of their rope. They had tried everything and everything had been tried on them. And it's this, I don't know, it's, it's as if it's a three-act play showcasing the kinds of people that Jesus rescued then and still rescues today. The first week we talked about the dreamer, this man named Jairus, who had a dream for his own life. In fact, he was living the dream. Jairus was a religious leader. He was a spiritual leader. He was dialed in spiritually. He had status in the community. He had a daughter who was the apple of his eye. She was the darling of the family. And like many of us, it seems as if he just sought out Jesus because he had run out of options. His dream was struggling. The picture he had for his family's future, the picture he had, the hopes and dreams for his own life, it wasn't working out. His daughter was sick. And he finds Jesus at the very center of his life, changed his life radically through the way Jesus healed his daughter. That was the dreamer. But last week, April talked about the schemer, this lady who had schemed her way to Jesus. In fact, she had tried everything she could try to to be healed. She had this problem that she had been wrestling with, this physical ailment that she had been dealing with for 12 years. And though she had faith in Jesus's power, she didn't seem like she was interested in an interaction, in, 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 in his acquaintance. No, it's like many of us. We just want to touch his clothes. We just want to get what we need. She just wanted to go unnoticed. Maybe the confrontation that she had with Jesus actually terrified her. If so, I get it. Sometimes we fear God, as we're gonna see today. But here's the great news about God, is that not only is he powerful, but he's also personable, that he stops for us to have a personal interaction, a personal conversation. Yeah, with the dreamer, Jesus proved that he was more personal to even the one who knew religion, but needed more than what religion could provide. And to the schemer, he proved that he was within reach reminiscent of those who know about what it's like to hear of him and even maybe grasp for him. But then finally today, we're gonna talk about not the dreamer, not the schemer, but we're gonna talk about the screamer. We're gonna talk about this man who was at the end of his rope and was literally living alone by himself, screaming out for help because he had tried everything he knew to try and it just wasn't working out. Mark 5, if you got a Bible you can turn there. If you have a device, you can open up to Mark 5, or if you just have an amazing memory and you've got it all memorized, you can just scroll through your mind and get to Mark 5. Here's the way it begins. This is where we'll pick up. Mark 5, verse 1, they went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. Jesus had just been on a boat where he was asleep. There was this bad storm. His disciples had woken him up saying, Jesus, we don't know what to do. The storm is bad. It feels like our boat's gonna go down. And Jesus just walked out and said, stop. 
Kind of reminiscent of the way Father's Day, I hope, won't happen for me. Taking a nap, kids are going crazy, just walk out and say, enough, be done. It doesn't always work that way, but in Jesus' case, it did. He just quieted the storm, he quieted the wind, quieted the waves, gets on the boat, crosses the boat, crosses the lake to go over to this area known as the Gerasenes. And when Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This was not someone from the Chamber of Commerce. This was not an ambassador from that area. This was not someone who was a part of the welcome wagon. No, this was, this was your worst nightmare. This was a man who was possessed by all kinds of evil spirits and demons, as we're gonna see. And the more I got into this, the more I thought, gosh, this is difficult to talk about. How do you talk about demons? How do you talk about this unseen part of life? In fact, my wife and I were on a walk yesterday morning, and she asked me, she said, what are you talking about tomorrow? And I told her about this story about this guy known as the demoniac. And she said, did you choose that, or did someone choose that for you? And I thought, you're, you're absolutely right. It's hard to explain. It's hard to understand. This is a part of life that we don't always talk about. Seems a little odd. It seems a little weird. I really appreciate what C.S. Lewis wrote in the introduction of his work called The Screwtape Letters, where he said, one mistake that people make is they obsess over demons. But he said, I wouldn't obsess over them, but I also wouldn't dismiss them as well. It is important to at least evaluate, investigate, are they really a part of this life? Then the more I thought about it, I thought, well, we're, we're in Atlanta, Georgia. Come on, y'all. I mean, this is where they filmed Walking Dead, Vampire Diaries, the Avengers. I mean, if anyone can understand this, if anybody can talk about this, it's us. This man, uh, this man was a tormented man. Uh, this little line here in Mark chapter five, verse three says that this man lived, that he lived in the tombs, that he lived among the dead. It's hard for us to really understand why someone would do this or even to understand how significant the implications of this were. As we talked about last week, this lady, not only was she, not only did she need healing, but she was also, she was deemed unclean because of her medical situation. In the same way, this man living in the tombs, living among dead people, this made him ceremonially unclean over and over again. Every time you were around a dead person, you had to go and shelter in place, be socially distanced from other people, and you had to quarantine for seven days. And so this man just repeatedly made himself unclean by being around these tombs. He was an outcast. His problem wasn't just that he was tormented, but he was also not welcomed, not accepted socially. Sometimes we need more than just the healing. What we need, as we saw with this lady last week, is we need someone to remind us who we are. We need someone to ascribe the value to us, that we have dignity, that we have the image of God stamped onto our soul. And this is exactly what this man needed. People had tried to help him. They tried to help him by holding him back, holding him down, even keeping him from harming himself. But as Mark tells us, no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. Now he reemphasizes that. Look at what he says. He said, for he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart, broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. This, this word subdue, it's actually the word that, that you would use to talk about taming wild animals. 
they had done everything they knew to do to try to keep this man from others and keep this man from himself. One of the difficulties of this, of this, this person that we're talking about today is that it's, it's hard to relate. I mean, look at you all sitting here, looking all nice, sitting up, paying attention, dressed. Even those of you that maybe you're watching online today, you know, you, 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 you at least have some part of your life together. So it's hard to even imagine someone who is homeless, living in this cemetery, just completely out of his mind. But, but what we have to understand is that the, the chains that hold us back, the chains that hold us in bondage, they might not look like the ones that this man had, but they're still significant. Maybe some of you, maybe you struggle with the approval of others and you're just constantly running this this rat race of life, trying to get other people to like you or to accept you. Maybe you know what it's like to have a, an issue with spending. You're trying to get your finances together, but you just can't stop buying the next new thing. I, I know for me, even little things like the, the way I respond to my kids sometime. We, we, were, we were in the van on a road trip just last week, and our kids were, um, they were just loud and crazy and uh, yelling at each other, and I, I, I turned around and yelled at them to stop yelling at each other, and it was in that moment that I thought, I, I, it, this is, self-control is hard. It's, it's difficult. What, whatever your little issue is, whatever that little thing that holds you back that you do over and over and over again that you just, you can't stop. You, you can't keep yourself from yourself. That low level of addiction I mean, sure, you're functional, you're able to operate, you're able to get through it, but, but it's still a chain. It's still something that is in our life that holds us in bondage, that holds us back. And honestly, it's, it can be agonizing, right? It, it, can be, it can literally torment us from the inside. That, that's the way this man felt. Mark, Mark says that night and day among the tombs and in the hills... He would cry out and he would cut himself with stones. This man was miserable. This man was in agony. Uh, in, a, in a previous life, I spent my, in my day job, I worked with teenagers. I was a student pastor at our churches. And man, when I would meet a student that was having some kind of issue or challenge and they would pull up their sleeve and show an arm that just had cuts and scrapes on it. It just was heartbreaking. And at first it was so hard to even understand or fathom, why would someone do that? But then you begin to realize that the reason why people cut themselves is because it creates this little micro pain, this little micro pain, this little sensation that distracts them from the major issue that's going on inside of them. And our problem oftentimes is that these little micro pains that we create to, 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 to distract ourselves from the real, the real problem is that we just, we have a hard time seeing that it could be better on the other side. We get real short-sighted. We just don't see a way out. We don't see a way through. We just think, oh, this is what it is. This is as good as it's going to get. It's as if we've just run out of options or run out of choices, even though there might be something better on the other side. And that, that was this guy. He just had he had no idea that there could be another life on the other side until. 
until he sees Jesus. I love this little line that when he saw Jesus from a distance, when he saw him from a distance, my guess is something inside of him, there was a spark of hope, a little tremor of hope. Oh my goodness, could this be the one who could actually help me? Could this be the one that could actually free me? Could this be the one who might actually help me get away from myself? So he did what maybe, maybe you're here to do. I mean, maybe you do it in a more socially acceptable way, but maybe you're here today because you just saw him from a distance and thought maybe he could help. And so he, he ran and he fell on his knees in front of Jesus. He sees him from a distance. You can just picture it. And he runs up to Jesus, falls down on his knees. If I were in that situation, as I would imagine you would be as well, I would be quite startled if I were Jesus, right? This man comes running up to you, falls down at his knees. But as we're going to see in this interaction, Jesus did not seem taken back, put off, he didn't seem bothered by this man. In fact, it only got worse because as this man fell down on his knees, looks up at Jesus begging and shouts at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. What, what, do, you, what do you want with me? I mean, in God's name, could you please stop? Whatever you do, don't torture me. What, what a profound question. What, what do you want with me? Have you ever asked that before? Has it ever gotten so bad that you just think, I, I don't know how it could get any worse. I mean, every time I turn around, it's just another problem, another issue. Have you noticed that a lot of people are in a real season of discouragement right now? I, I have, and I, I don't mean... I don't mean just they feel disappointed. I mean, we all have disappointments, right? You go to meet somebody for lunch and they show up late. You feel disappointed. But you get over it, right? And, and I don't mean depression, where it's a significant season where you just can't hardly even find any motivation or get out of bed or get yourself together. I, I just mean that, that low hum of discouragement. It just happens in life when it just feels like it's just another situation after another situation. I, I'm reminded of Job the story of Job from the Old Testament who had just problem after problem after problem. It was people dying, him losing loved ones, his house catching on fire, losing his profession, financial issues. Every time he turned around, it was just another, another issue, another calamity. And I wonder if he even had moments where he cried out and said, what do you want with me? Have you ever had a situation like that where it's just gone from bad to worse, and it just keeps getting worse, and you just think, God, you're not actually asking. It's really a statement of anger. God, what do you want with me? What, what are you up to? What are you doing? Please, whatever you do, could you stop the torturing? Whatever you're going to do next, please don't torture me. This man's down on his knees begging Jesus, please make it stop. And what's confusing here, I, I read numerous commentaries that talk about this. We don't really know is this the man talking or is this the demons inside of him talking? But Jesus speaks to the spirit, that impure spirit. He commands the spirit. Jesus said to him, come out of this man, you impure spirit. 
So Jesus speaks directly to the issue that he's dealing with, that he's plagued with these evil forces that are unseen. And Jesus says, enough, done, get out. You're, you're, I'm done with you. Come out of him, you impure spirit. And, and then he has this moment of, of kindness, this personable moment that I think is worth noticing. Then Jesus asks him, says, what, what is your name? What's your name? Maybe you've heard this before, but you know that God doesn't just want a, a, a bunch of do's and don'ts for you to follow, you know? Make sure you do this and make sure you don't do this, which this is most people's religion. Most people's religion is, I think there is a God and I gotta do more good things than bad things. That's it. That's most people's religion. But that's not really what God wants. I, I think Jesus is trying to show us the heart of our heavenly father, that he says, hey, I, I wanna know your name. I mean, I know your name, but I'm asking because I want you to know that I don't just want religion for you, I want a relationship with you. I want a, rela a real meaningful relationship with you. I mean, how bizarre is this, that the king of the universe, the God of all gods who has crammed all of his deity into Jesus's body, into the body of a man to walk planet earth, to be the image of the invisible God, to show us what God is like. And he stops and has this conversation and says, hey, tell me your name. What is your name? I just, I, I, I wanna meet you. I want you to meet me. I wanna have a relationship with you. That's what God wants with you. He wants to know you. He wants you to know him. He wants a relationship. But this man was... He was so conflicted that it's as if he couldn't even answer. We don't actually find out what this man's name is. No, it seems that the demons blurt out. They say, my name is Legion, which the word Legion actually means uh, many, a plethora, a bunch of them. He replied, for we are many. My name is Legion, for we are many, meaning I've got so many names. I've got so many issues, so many problems. I'm so conflicted. I don't even know where to start to have a relationship. And then this man begs Jesus, or the demons inside of him beg Jesus. Again, we don't really know, again and again, not to send them out of the area. But instead, a large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. So this man, or the, the, the forces inside of him, notice that there's this huge herd of swine. Now, Mark's going to tell us in just a little bit that there were over 2,000 of them. Okay, a lot of bacon. It was a big day for pigs that day. A huge amount of them grazing over on the hillside. And there's a farmer over there who's herding them. He's just doing his work, doing his job. Multiple farmers, perhaps. This was their, this was their business. This is what they did. And, and the demons do something unusual. The demons beg Jesus send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. Now, a lot of people think this is. Um, this is God's way of telling us something about pigs, that pigs are not worth much or pigs are worth less or pigs are only demon-filled creatures. And I think, I, I, surely we can all agree that couldn't be further from the truth. I mean, is ba bacon to me is the holiest of all food. I mean, it is like the one food that goes with every kind of food. You can sweeten it, you can make it salty, you can do everything to it. I mean, I think we can all agree God loves pigs. God is crazy about pigs made pigs for us to eat. It's amazing. Love them. Big fan of the pig. 
So I don't think this says anything too. I think we gotta be careful about reading too much into this, but this is just speaking to the power of Jesus. These demons, they see this herd of pigs and they beg Jesus. We, we can't miss this, but the demons inside of this man are begging Jesus. That they're face to face, standing there with the almighty God and they're begging him. It's as if they had had invaded this man and had taken over this man and thought, oh, we got this. But then they bump into Jesus and go, oh no, we don't have this. I mean, can, can we stop and recognize what's happening here? That the, these evil forces are recognizing the authority of Jesus? That they're recognizing his power, his dominion, his sovereignty? that they're recognizing his jurisdiction. What, what we learn here is that Jesus has jurisdiction over everything we see and everything we cannot see. I think what Mark is trying to introduce to us is that Jesus has the power over everything. He has authority over everything. He has jurisdiction over everything. The things we see and this other part of life that is so hard to understand, the things we don't see. It reminds me of this little phrase, this little line that the Apostle Paul wrote in one of his letters where he says, our, our struggle that we have in life, it's not always against flesh and blood. No, our struggle is against the evil forces of darkness in this world. That There are times when we are wrestling with things, we're battling things, the war that is being waged is waged against the unseen, things that we can't even put our finger on, can't even identify. But the great news is, is that those demons inside of this man recognized who Jesus was, and they recognized their own limitations, and they recognized his power. That's great news. Because maybe if the demons recognize this, maybe we should also recognize this. I mean, what would change if we recognize the amount of power, the amount of authority, the jurisdiction that he does have? There's nothing he can't heal. There's nothing he can't fix. There's nothing that can actually overcome him when everything else isn't working out, that he's still working on our behalf and he has all the power. That's great news for those who are facing something that they just feel like they can't, they can't get through or can't get past. Feels like it's gotten on top of you. And so, so Jesus relents. Jesus gives them permission. Jesus allows them. Mark says that he, he gave them permission. And so the impure spirits, they came out and they went into the pigs and the herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. I, I remember being a kid hearing this story in Sunday school, and I just remember thinking that's the craziest story I've ever heard, you know? I mean, I, it, it, um, Peter putting the, you know, chopping the guy's ear off and Jesus putting the guy's ear back on. Second to that one, I mean, this is a pretty insane story. That Jesus, these demons are begging, send us over to the pigs. We would be better with the pigs. And so Jesus relents. He allows them to. He gives them permission. He allows them to go over there. And then the 2,000 pigs rushing down this hill, jumping into this lake, drowning to their death. I mean, this is, in, in some ways, it's mind-blowing. In other ways, it's kind of sad. It's kind of tragic. 
What, what we also can't miss is that there was a farmer, there, there was a, a, a few farmers who owned these pigs. And, and now they, what are they gonna do? What happened to their livelihood? And, and we, don't, we don't know. I mean, Mark only tells us this interaction. I mean, I, I'd like to hope that before Jesus left, that he went back around and found the farmers and helped them out, did something to, to, to help them figure out what they were gonna do going forward. Because I'm sure they were at a loss. They were thinking, what am I gonna do now? And, and then everybody started telling the story, as you can imagine. I mean, it's a crazy story to us, and it was a crazy story to them. So those tending to the pigs, they ran off, and they reported this in the town and in the countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. And everybody was like, what had happened was Jesus cast these demons out and put them in the pigs, and the pigs ran down the hill, and the pigs died. You should have been there. It was amazing. And, and then we get this huge conflict of what's going to be the lead story, What's gonna be the anchor story on the six o'clock news? Is it gonna be tragic set of events ruins the business of the pig farmer? Or is it gonna be Jesus miraculously changes the life of the demoniac, of the demon-possessed man? See, everybody went and rehearsed the details of the story and it seems that they were more concerned about what happened to these farmers than they were about what happened to this demon-possessed man. So they hear about it, and they all go back and find Jesus. So this is a couple of hours, I would assume, has, has passed. They came to Jesus, and they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons, and look at this. He was sitting there, dressed, and in his right mind. How awesome is that? How great is that? They had heard all about the pigs, but then they get there and they go, look at, look at this guy. Y'all remember him, right? I mean, everybody told stories of this guy. This guy was your worst nightmare. He's the last guy you want to see. And look at him. He's dressed and in his right mind. And so they, so they what? So what did they do? So they, they cheered, they celebrated, they thanked Jesus, they put Jesus up on their shoulders and said, way to go, Jesus, you're awesome. They told him about their own problems. Maybe they brought other people. They go, well, can you hang here? I got some other people who are not in their right mind in my family, and I'd love to bring them to you. You got time? Can you hang for a minute? No. That's not what they did. Look at this. This, this is hard to even imagine. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there dressed and in his right mind. And they were, they were afraid? They were scared? Of, of what? what? What were they afraid of? I mean, Jesus had changed this ravaging savage into a calm, sedate, rational person. And he did it. He did it for the good of this person, but it was also for the good of the society as well. What, what could they have been afraid of? See, we, 
We use this line a lot, which I really, really like. We, we say that Jesus makes your life better, and he makes you better at life. Let me just ask you, for this demon-possessed man, did this make his life better? Oh my goodness, you better believe it. Did it make him better at life? Of course it did. But the part that's sometimes hard to talk about is that when Jesus does things, when Jesus moves people, when Jesus inspires people, he shakes things up. I mean, he changes things. Sometimes radical change. And sometimes that feels scary, doesn't it? I mean, I know people who, they ran for office because they thought Jesus wanted them to. I know people who, they adopted a kid because they thought Jesus wanted their, they fostered kids. Or I know people who, they gave money away, like loads of money, because they felt like Jesus wanted them to. I'm telling you, yeah, he makes our life better, and he does make us better in life, but he also does some, he does some things that sometimes feel scary. Any of you remember in school when you didn't prepare enough for a test, and you get in the middle of it, and you're like, oh boy, I don't know how this is going to go. Is this just me? This happened numerous times when I was in college, and I would pray this prayer. I would say, God, if you let me pass this test, I will go anywhere, and I mean anywhere in the world for you. <laughs> and then I would pass the test, and then I would be like, I mean, not anywhere. I mean, come on. Like, not, I mean, not anywhere. So he ended up sending me to Buckhead. Like, that's what happened in my life. No. No, we pray that prayer because we're like, God, I need you to come through. And then if he does or when he does, we're like, well, I mean, I didn't really mean it. You know, I mean, surely you wouldn't do anything that would be uncomfortable or would call me, cause me to do something that would seem kind of crazy or that I have to explain to my parents or to my extended family. Surely not, right? Now, see, this is what's so scary sometimes about God is that we just don't know. When we say yes, we don't know what it means. And I like to know, when I'm saying yes, what am I saying yes to? But the way God works is he goes, hey, I'm inviting you to say yes, but I'm not even gonna really tell you what you're saying yes to. Here's what we learn, though, is that whether we say yes or not, it doesn't change the amount of power he has. He's all-powerful whether we say yes or whether we don't. And in his love and in his grace, he gives us a choice to be able to say, come on, you can surrender to me. I love you, I'm for you. You can surrender to me. But these people couldn't, they couldn't stand that. They couldn't tolerate that. They couldn't handle that. And so look, look at what they do. Look at, look at the way they respond. In their fear, those who had seen it, they told all the people what had happened and to the demon-possessed man, and they told about all the pigs as well, which I'm like, well, yeah, that's a big part of the story, right? And, and then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave. Imagine that. Instead of celebrating him, they just begged him to leave. Could you go? This is, we, we don't know what you're doing. This is scary. This is frightening. We don't know what is happening. Would you please just leave? But you know who didn't leave? Who do you think didn't leave? The man who was dressed. The man who was in his right mind. The, the man whose life had been changed. Yeah, as, as Jesus is getting in the boat, 
to leave because he was like, okay, if you need me to leave, I will leave. The man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Please, would you please let me go with you? You, You've already changed my life. I don't even know what, what kind of life I'd go back to. Would you please let me go with you? And Jesus, interestingly, Jesus said, no, not because I don't love you, but because I have something for you. I've got a mission for you. He says, Jesus didn't let him go, but said instead, now go, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And so the man went away and began to tell. He went to the city center in the Decapolis and told everyone how much Jesus had done for him. And all these people, they were amazed. They were amazed. They couldn't believe. Wait, this is the same guy? This is the demon-possessed guy? He's cutting himself, lives out by the tombs? This is him? Wow. What, what, what's the big idea of this story? I mean, if you're, if you're Mark and you're, account, you're making your own account for Jesus' life, what, what's the point of it? I mean, for one, it was just, you wouldn't believe what happened. I gotta tell you the story. But, but all, all scripture we're taught is God-breathed and useful for teaching, that there's some kind of point to it. There's some kind of message to it. What, what is it? I, I, I think it's just the simple message that Jesus is the man. You know, people stand on tee boxes on golf courses and somebody hits a big drive and everybody goes, you're the man. I think that's the message. I think Mark's just going, you have no idea. This, he is the man, but he's not just a man, that he's God, that he's God in flesh, that he's all powerful, that there's nothing that's not under his control. Remember, he's asleep on the boat. He gets up and says, done, stop, quiet. The winds and the waves, the rain, the thunder, the lightning, they obey him. The sick daughter of Jairus, she just gets up, starts bouncing around the room. She was dead. This woman that was in shame and in bondage and just tormented with her own medical condition, he just heals it on the spot. And he has command over the unseen as well, even the things that we cannot see. Maybe the whole point Maybe the point is just this. Maybe he's showing off his power so that you'll say yes to his invitation to follow him. That you'll say yes. That you'll say yes to this scary. It is scary. But it's powerful and it's personable. And it's from him to you. Will you follow me? Is it worth it? Uh, I mean, you, you gotta answer that. What, what, do you think the, what do you think the man that was dressed and in his right mind would say? Was it worth it? Yeah, I think it was. His closest followers, if you ask them, was it worth it? Was it easy? No, no, I said, was it worth it? Oh yeah, okay, well, it wasn't easy. I mean, we gave up our life for it, but it was worth it. And I bet if you say yes, my guess is you'll think it's worth it too, but no one can decide that for you. You have to decide. You have to ultimately decide, 
Can I trust him? Can I trust him? So let me just ask you, will you? Will you trust him? Will you trust that he's for your good? And and here's what's tough is, will you trust him when you can't see the whole map? You can't see where it's going. You can't see what's down the road. Will you trust him? Maybe you're at a crossroads in your career and you know something's on the other side, but you don't know what it is. Will you trust him? Maybe some of you are at a place where you feel like you want to be generous, but it's scary. You think, can I really trust him? Maybe some of you are, maybe you feel like he's wanting you to change the way you see your own future. Will you trust him? And the reason why I ask that question is because every relationship is built on trust. And so you got to start with that is do I really, will I really trust him? And then if you can say yes to this, I think it makes this question a little easier, but then will you choose to follow him to to where? I, I don't know. And you don't know, but it's worth it. So today, I just want to give you an opportunity to do that. You don't need me to give you one. Jesus is the one giving you the invitation. God's the one saying, hey, I want you to follow me. But every now and then, you need a moment in time where you can say, that was my moment. From that moment on, everything changed. And so I want to just give you an opportunity to do that today. Maybe some of you, maybe you've never put your faith in Jesus. You've never actually told him, I trust you. You've never told him how much you need him. Maybe you've never said, I want to follow you. From here on out, I want to follow you. And I just want to give you a moment where you can just recognize who he is, recognize your own need, maybe even say yes to that invitation. So we're going to do this real simply. I would love for you to just close your eyes, bow your head. And if that's you today, if you feel like, you know what, I've never really said yes to him. I've kind of been waffling. I've kind of been nervous about it. I'd love to just invite you. Would you just raise your hand? If you want to say yes to his invitation, would you just raise your hand? Say, yes, I want to trust you. I want to follow you. That's awesome. This is not to score any points in heaven. This is not to get God to love you anymore. He already loves you like crazy, but this is just to let him know, hey, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in. You can put your hand down. Um, Heavenly Father, God, there's a lot of people that are watching today or maybe even here today that have their hand in the air just saying, I want to say yes. I mean, I'm at at the end of my rope. I've run out of options. I'm at the last, this is my last resort. God, I pray that today that they would, maybe they would feel your presence, but whether they do or whether they don't, I pray that they would be able to trust you Yes, I trust you. You're the almighty. You're the all-powerful. You have authority over everything. I trust you. And then I pray that you would give them the bravery to be able to follow you. And on the days where they just don't have it, I pray that they would experience the power of your mercy and your grace. And that maybe they would tell somebody else about it you got to know about what he's done for me. Do I get it right all the time? Oh, no. But you got to know about his mercy and his grace that he's shown for me. I pray that you would change our life because of today. 
I pray that you would change our life as we follow you. It's not easy. It's a little scary, but it is worth it. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Once again, thanks for listening. If you'd like to hear more messages like this, we've made it super easy. First, you can hit the subscribe button to get these messages on your device every week. Second, you can download our app from iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you get your apps. Or third, you can check out our YouTube channel. Just search for Buckhead Church and make sure to subscribe. Have a great day.